with let's take the the three main issues between parents and grown kids addiction again this is as an adult a choice that they are making we can be supportive of their efforts but we need as my daughter when she had a problem once said to me mom stay out of my program Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is one of the scientifically proven ways we can age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will excite and inspire you to share your own gifts and talents with the world. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and my book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits, including what's new at my Etsy shop, Zestful Design. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. Ever wonder what the host of Zestful Aging does when she's not podcasting? Creating one-of-a-kind earrings, of course. I've just opened an Etsy shop called Zestful Design, no S, and it showcases my fun, comfortable, and zesty polymer earrings. These earrings are fun to make and fun to wear. So check out my new shop, Zestful Design, on Etsy. I am really looking forward to our interview today. As someone who thinks a lot about the challenges that older people face, I was surprised when I learned how many parents are estranged from their adult children. But with opioid crises, mental illness, and suicide rates through the roof, many of our adult children are not thriving. In fact, they may be barely hanging on. And we're left to decide what kind of relationship relationship we want with them when they make poor decisions that might hurt them or the family. Our guest today is social psychologist who's an expert on family life and fellow Smith alum, Jane Adams. Her book, When Our Grown Kids Disappoint Us, gets to the heart of the dilemma of having an adult child who has significant problems in life. Her work has been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, and the Oprah Winfrey Show, and PBS. And welcome to the show, Jane. Well, thanks, Nicole. It's nice to be here. Appreciate having you. You know, I I just sort of through a a, a weird confluence was uh, aware of several books um, and other media that talked about this estrangement of parents and their adult children. And frankly, I don't know why I was surprised because I know we have a mental health crisis out there, but um, it seems as though this is a hidden phenomenon that people I'm not don't. Sure, I'm not sure a that it's hidden or okay. b that or b that it is 
um, as great as it is statistically indicated it is, because the definition of estrangement depends on what stage you're in, what resolution, if any, there's been, whether it ended with a bang or a whimper or just kind of drifted away. I mean, kids do drift away. And some kids maybe only call their parents every couple of years. And some parents are okay with that. And other people would call that estrangement. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to the grown kid, they'll say, you know, um, I love my parents, but you know, they're not really a big part of my life anymore. I live a couple of thousand miles away. I have a wife that isn't interested in my family particularly. I have kids. I have my job. You know, I guess I'll see my parents next when one of them dies. I'll see the other one. And so there's okay a wide range. So there's a very yeah. wide yeah. range. And it's hard to know where the estrangement mark, I guess. It is. It is. And, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes a kid can just be pissed at you for some reason and say, you know, I don't need this now. And there's not much you can do except apologize for whatever it is you think caused the estrangement, express your regret and hope that things can be different. This is if estrangement is sort of formalized between you. Mm -hmm. Or continue to reach out to them, continue to include them in, you know, the family Christmas letter, a text now and again, it's your birthday, just want you to know I'm thinking about you, Um, whatever. You continue making, make to make opening gestures. And Mm -hmm. ignore whether you need to do that for you to feel connected to them, even if they don't feel connected to you. Do you think there's a belief that there's something wrong with this and that parents, by and large, think that they should be living three houses down and in constant contact? No, I don't think I don't think most parents believe that. And very few parents want that, actually. (laughs) I have. I always thought, I used to say to my parents when I grew up and left home, I want to be about a two and a half hour plane trip or a five hour train trip from you. And mm-hmm. I lived in eastern Connecticut. And at that point, I was living in Washington, D.C. And that was the perfect distance. Mm-hmm. You know, I could get home quickly if I needed to. But many kids, mobility these days is very great. Uh, many kids and their parents live quite distant. And sometimes there are there's a phenomenon of parents moving to be closer to their grown kids, usually when they have grandchildren. All right. And and that's a a very understandable and lovely reconnecting moment in family life if your boundaries are clear and theirs are too. Mm-hmm. Talk, uh, I know that you did a, a piece on uh, YouTube. You talked about the importance of boundaries. Oh, well, yeah. And I wrote a whole book about boundaries. I think boundaries are the central fact of relational life, of all relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, how close, how distant are you from the others in your life? And how meshed are you with them? How independent? The issue about boundaries is to get both the autonomy you need and the intimacy you want from all the relationships in your life. And if you look at boundaries on a spectrum as further apart and closer together, and you look at where your colleagues are, where your close friends are, where your children are, where your spouse is, um, and you see, actually look at where your boundaries are, 
with parents and kids, especially grown kids, we have a hard time, I think mothers particularly, of letting go with the sense that our children are fully a part of us. Mm. That we are still deeply attached, Mm -hmm. even if we're estranged. And letting go of that attachment when it's necessary for your own sanity, as well as for their maturity is a very difficult thing to do. Mm -hmm. You gave some really good examples of that in the book. Can you talk about specifically what it's like for, for, let's just say moms, most of the listeners uh, of this podcast are women. What are the challenges of, of, is it fair to say breaking that attachment? Well, it's not, it's not breaking it entirely. We never, we never break our, attachment. It's cultivating an attitude of both detachment, mutuality, if that's possible with your grown kid, because that's the best relationship. It's interdependent. Mm -hmm. You both depend on each other for certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I say that most of the parents that I encounter these days uh, who are having issues with their grown children are having issues about what I call the ADD of young adulthood. Addiction, dependence, and depression. Mm-hmm. And those are not things we can do anything about. They are adults. They mm-hmm. have a right to their own choices. We can see them walking down a road and see the pothole right in front of them. Mm-hmm. And all we can do is to, because we've already warned them about the pothole, all we can do is to be there when they get out of it and help them up and say, "Mm, better luck next time. One of the things that I found really interesting about your book, if you wouldn't mind touching on it, is how our culture has changed, how the expectation has changed, and how even one generation, you know, that that our grown children are not doing as well. No, they're not. And part of that is cultural. The world is not doing that well. Um, Part of it is a difference in their constitutional strengths. I mean, some kids are born with greater constitutional strength. They're not as fragile as kids. many kids seem to be today. And the reason for their fragility um, is partly that we have, you know, we have been so over-invested in mm-hmm. their lives in the first mm-hmm. 18 years. And I'm mm-hmm. not going to say helicopter parent, but you know what I mean. Yes. Um, we haven't allowed them to fail. Mm-hmm. We get upset when they are exposed to ideas, whether it's racism um, or gender differences and preferences and whatever. We get very concerned when when they're going in their own directions, and it's not a direction that we wanted for them. You know, when they're born, the dreams begin the minute the doctor places them in your arms, you know. Mm-hmm. He'll be these days, she'll be a president, and he'll be whatever. Mm-hmm. And we have, we don't realize how much our dreams are connected to our expectations for them. Mm-hmm. And they're not here to fulfill our dreams or our expectations. And when they don't, and when they fail not only to fulfill them, but to be able to get a grip on life, we immediately assume that it's our fault. And it's not, you know. All we can do is we did the most of us did the best we could knowing what we knew and who we were 
and what our lives were like at that time. Mm -hmm. I tell that to women who raise their kids alone a lot. You know, your situation was different than the situation of women who raise their children with a partner. Um, I'm not saying it was better or worse. It was just right. different. Yes. You know? um, I think that parents today sort of, as they inflated their involvement in their kids' lives, they also inflated their expectations for them. You know, they may not have gone and paid off somebody at UCLA to get their kids <laughs> into school, mm -hmm. but we did everything we knew possible to make our kids' lives better and easier, and it seems like the harder we tried, sometimes when you look at what's going on with a certain proportion, but by no means uh, a lot of them, we wonder, what, you know, what did we do too much? Did we love them mm, too much? Mm -hmm. um, too indulgent. Were we not too indulgent, but did we, um, did we cultivate an attitude of entitlement in them? Mm, mm -hmm. And the reality is often very far from what either they expected or we expected. And it's helping them learn to live with conditions as they are right now, um, if we have any job at all that is ours left to do, to say, you know, I'm really sorry that your life is so sucky and that the climate is so difficult and that it's hard to, you know, find a job that feeds your soul as well as your pocketbook. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But every generation has different issues to face and these are yours. Mm -hmm. And I can't face them for you. You know, I can just really support your efforts to make a good life for yourself in spite of this. I mean, there is a mental health crisis going on. It's not just um, young adults. It's everybody. We have been through a terrible 24 months. And I think it's important to remember that, that we all have to heal individually, as families, God knows, as nations. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I feel as though with, let's take the, the three main issues between parents and grown kids. Addiction. Again, this is, as an adult, a choice that they are making. We can be supportive of their efforts, but we need, as my daughter, when she had a problem, once said to me, Mom, stay out of my program. Mm -hmm. And I stayed out of her program. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really hard to do. She mm -hmm. got really screwed up. And when she was ready to stop, she got herself to treatment and she stopped with a great deal of effort. She lost her children for a couple of years because of it. Mm. And I did what I could to let go of it, but there's not much you can do to let go of it. I mean, I, I limited the amount of time I talked about her problem to my close friends to, you know, once a week for 10 minutes because I didn't want to burden them with it. Yeah. Um, with my, at that point, intimate partner, we made a deal that we would only talk about her problems once a day for 10 minutes, and we would never do it in the apartment that we shared. Um, we would go outside to do it. Because, as a therapist once said to me, when you clean out poop in a poopy room, it always smells like poop thereafter. Mm -hmm. and that wasn't quite the it's word to use. But you yes, yeah. it's, it's tainted. Mm-hmm. So I think that all we can do with that is, you know, help them help themselves, but not try to make them do it. And in the meantime, 
A support group for parents of addicted kids is a really useful thing to do. It will make you feel like you're not alone. It's for you. It's not for them. And is this like Al-Anon type? Yes. Yeah. 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 If it's drugs, it's Naranon. But, you know, any 12-step program has the Mm -hmm. same essential basis. Um, When my daughter was going through it, I found a Naranon group because I... I felt like those problems were different from those of alcohol. I don't know why, but I did. And but I went to some when I was writing my book. I went to some uh, Al-Anon meetings too, and they were all they all follow a certain format. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you hear the stories of of how other people's stories are always worse than your own, and there's a kind of it's not Schadenfreude, but it's like realizing you're not alone, and you're mm-hmm. probably not even close to the bottom. Yes. Yes. Um, I find a lot yeah. of help in support groups for parents of grown kids, depending on what the issue is. And when, it, mm-hmm. when it's addiction, there are so many of them out there. If you like this podcast, you'll love my companion courses, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity, and The Wisdom of Mindful Eating. Now, for one month only, I'm putting both of my online courses on a radical sale. Both The Wisdom of Mindful Eating and Zestful Aging will be $19.99 each. Both of these courses have received rave reviews. They're fun, straightforward, and have the ability to change your life in the direction of more peace and less stress about eating and around aging. No extreme diets or punishing exercise. More about creating habits that feel good and are sustainable, which is health promoting and leads to a longer, happier life. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Now back to the show. And you've touched on something I think was really important um, related to this where parents and I, I'm guessing particularly moms feel so responsible, feel so guilty. And, you know, if I hadn't have done this, if I hadn't taken that job, if I hadn't. Yeah, of course we do. You if, know, I'd him, if I'd given him a two parent family, whatever mm-hmm. we do. And you know what? Again. You have to keep reminding yourself, I did the best I could, mm-hmm. given who I was, how old I was, how what my situation was yep. then. And I have some regrets, but I'm not going to be guilty because regret is guilt without the neurosis. Mm-hmm. You can't make yourself crazy around it. First of all, you probably weren't responsible. And I'm saying probably because I suppose there's a small chance that you, in this listening audience, there are parents who physically or really severely emotionally abused, neglected, or otherwise harmed their children. I think there's a very small percentage of those, certainly among your listening audience. But if you weren't one of those, and I'm sure you weren't, you don't have anything to feel guilty about. Mm -hmm. Just regret that you didn't know more, um, that, you know, whatever it was, you could might have done another way. You're sorry you didn't. And if you hurt your child as a result of it and your child is blaming you, which is a lot of what goes on, especially in the early 20s, 
um, that's all you need to say. You know, I'm sorry that I failed you in a way that you've now made me aware of. And I regret that, you know, you didn't have a happier childhood or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now can we move on? Mm -hmm. So you're really talking about, at many levels, acceptance of what is. Yeah, exactly. Because what else can we do? We can't change the past. And we can't really control the future. We can, to some extent, control our future with our grown kids by accepting, constructing, accepting, and maintaining the appropriate boundaries between them. And probably the most significant one is the emotional boundary. You need to let what's in their head stay in their head unless they offer to share it. You need to not also not ask them about their feelings. They'll tell you what they need to know. In fact, you need to listen a lot more than you talk or ask. Mm -hmm. And you need to let them know that you are there to encourage them and to support them in whatever way you can. And again, that's an issue um, we haven't even gotten to yet. How long do you support your grown kids? You know, that you love them and, and you enjoy being with them. Or, you know, that in the state they're in now, if they're drunk or um, using, you don't want them in your house. You'll be mm -hmm. glad to meet them for lunch on a day when they're not. Those are boundaries that you get to draw with a grown kid. Not this idea of sacrificing everything no, for your child. No, you've already sacrificed a lot. You know, you have to look at what your assets are, how long you have to live, whether they're joint assets or your assets. You know, I hear about lots of times when um, people talk about their grown kids coming home to live, and I say to the wives, have you talked to your husband about it? And they say, well, not really. You know, that's a joint asset, your home. Mm. Before you give it away, you need to make a joint decision. And that's the same thing about how much money you're going to give them, how many rehabs are you going to pay for. Those are all your assets. And when it comes to looking at your future, you're in charge of your own, and they're really in charge of their own. Mm -hmm. You can help them find other financial support for whatever they need, but you're not responsible for it anymore. This message must be incredibly relieving to the people that you've treated and talked to and interviewed, that it's kind of a new idea, I think, for some parents that you don't there's a you time. don't owe your kids that you don't owe the, your kids the rest of your life yes yeah well you don't you owe yourself the rest of your life which is mm -hmm. why a good part of my conversations with mostly mothers again but sometimes fathers and sometimes the best of times when they're both on the phone together um when you reinvest in your own life at 50 or 60 or even 70 Mm -hmm. You find there's a lot of richness in it, a lot that just fell by the wayside while you were so involved in your kid's life. One of the first things that needs refreshing is your marriage. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, I talked specifically about things like limit the time you discuss your grown kids or your feelings about your grown kids with your partner to once a day, whatever. You know, make a commitment not to do it any more than that. Deal with your feelings a different way. Here's a cognitive behavioral way to deal with those feelings of disappointment, of worry, of anger that you're feeling. You know, take a mortar and a pestle and put those feelings into the hardest nut you can find and spend what, however much energy it takes to crush that nut to bits 
and then flush it down the drain. Obliterate those feelings. Feel them first and then let go of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stage is about letting go. And one of the things you're going to let go of are many of the feelings you have about your grown kids. And you're going to be seeking the most positive resolution or relationship you can have with that child, given where you are now. And what you're aiming for, ultimately, is mutuality and interdependence, where you can both depend on the other for what you need, which is mostly love and emotional support. Do you see this as um, more or less challenging for different ethnic groups who might see parenthood um, as a permanent condition. Yes. A per- <laughs> Thank you. Perf- perfectly said. I think that there are families, both ethnic and not. What's the opposite of ethnic? Um, and that in <laughs> itself is discriminatory. I think there are families from cultures um, that are more by custom and tradition intertwined and live with weaker boundaries, maybe, than other cultures. Do I think that Jewish mothers are always Jewish mothers, as one myself who's been through it? No, I don't think I'm any different from, and I was really a major yenta. I don't think I'm any different from um, an Italian mother or a French mother. I am probably different from a Muslim mother, because most Muslims live in, or from a Chicano mother, Hispanics, I didn't know what to say. Because mostly they live multi-generationally. And in most, in many Western cultures, although this has changed over the last couple of years, we don't live, we live with two generations, Mm -hmm. ourselves and our kids, and later with one. We don't usually live multi-generationally. And the more generations there are in a house, um, the weaker the boundaries are, because they're physically weak, and you live in each other's pockets, you know. I think it's interesting, too, there may be less guilt on the mom's part if the kids are being raised in an extended family. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. Um, that's, a, that's an interesting. It's an interesting, and I, don't, I haven't read that much cross-culturally, mm-hmm. so I'm not sure. But I think, you know, I think expectations uh, in some cultures are that when you leave the family, there's, there's a feeling of disloyalty which is why Indian brides usually move to their husband's families. And I think it does. I think there are some non-Western cultures where multi-generational living is the norm. And then there are Western cultures too. I mean, in Italy, one of the cases I cited in an earlier book was an Italian court that ruled that the parents of a self-supporting 30-year-old doctor still were required to give him housing. Mm, he was still able to live in their home. <laughs> so, and then of course, you know, I sort of got involved in this kind of coaching when kids started coming home, the boomerang generation, mm-hmm. which sounds quaint now, but 10 years ago or 15 years ago or even 20 years ago, it was a relatively new phenomenon mm-hmm. because my generation, we couldn't wait to get out of our parents' houses. Right. And, you know, partly because we couldn't have sex under their roofs. Um, but then our kids don't feel that way. They felt more, they felt independent. They feel independent even when they are not, when we're supporting them. They still feel independent. And, you know, in today's world, what you feel is what your feelings are, are your fact. So, um, so there's a different 
sense of what independence means. And I think that's one way generationally when we have changed and that has contributed to some of the extended uh, home fail people call it failure to launch or extended home leaving mm -hmm. whatever that kids generally come home stay home a little bit longer or come home once or twice um, after they finish their education uh, and then of course covid made a big change because lots of families got together because they needed to be and they wanted yeah. to be and for most of them I think it was a pretty positive experience. I wouldn't say it was a great positive experience for teenage kids living at home with their parents mm -hmm. and not going to school and missing their right. peers. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. But, you know, for many young adults, it was just fine. You know, mom was cooking and doing the laundry and they were doing their chores and they, you know, they were fine. They got on each other's nerves for a while, but then, you know, they went up. So now that COVID is over, how many of them are leaving home again? I'll be interested to see. Well, you know, the other piece, and this is a whole other podcast, is they, they're so saddled with student loans that they can't afford to, some of them, well, they just... Well, that's, that's definitely true of some kids. It's not true of all kids. I mean, many kids who are saddled with student loans are still living away from home. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think kids today are in a tough position. I mean, I came of age in an expanding economy. They're coming of age in one that is just beginning to gear up after a long period of depression or recession or whatever mm. you want to call the last couple mm. of years. Mm -hmm. The fact is that there are more jobs available now um, for people who want them than there are people who want them. Because one of the other things that's happened people who either lost their job or worked remotely or had a chance to consider what they wanted out of their jobs or life are looking for more than just a paycheck now. And if they yeah. are looking for a paycheck, it's got to be a lot bigger than it was before, especially yeah. if they're in low-level jobs. Yeah, you can't so, live on $15 yeah, an hour. Yeah, so people are pickier. However, mm -hmm. I think if you have a 25-year-old, um, who can't find the job of his dreams that he's been dreaming about for the last 18 months and has to take something that's suited to his education and it's maybe even entry level for a while and is living at home because that's not the job of his dreams, then you need to give him a little push. Mm -hmm. And say, you know, your expectations, while they got greater during the pandemic, are not yet, you know, available in the culture for you in society for you mm -hmm. to meet and in the meantime you got to pay your bills so yeah. start some you know start somewhere even if it's the wrong place and but, paying your dues i think yeah yeah well yeah. you know um, my mother used to say your kids want the kind of life that you know you work 30 years to provide for them yes and they want it at 21 they don't want to live with bricks and boards for bookcases in a five-floor walk-up, you know. Mm -hmm. so, so, and again, all of this is so individual. What is, what is probably global, I think, is that our concern and worry about our grown kids doesn't stop at a certain point when they're 18 or 21 or 30 or 60, 50. We will always love them and we will always care about them. The trick at this point in our lives, let's say over 55, is to 
let go of them, love them, let go of their problems without mm-hmm. letting go of them. Because you can't solve their problems. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean they have to be out of your life. Just mm-hmm. let go of their problems. Those are theirs to solve. Mm-hmm. Love them anyway, in spite of their problems. And get on with your own life. Mm-hmm. Because you have a good 20 to 30 to 40 more years to live. That's right. And some of the richest Absolutely. Uh, some of the best Prime times. time. Yeah. yeah I, it I is love- prime time. I love that you owe yourself the rest of your life. You do. That's such a beautiful uh, sentiment, Jane. Where can people find out more about you? Your well, books? they can find out. They can find out more about me on um, www.janeadams.com. Mm-hmm. They can find out more about me on my author's page on Amazon. I've written thirteen books, <laughs> and my most wow. recent two are probably most related to this. I started, I've always managed to find a publisher to underwrite my search to find, to solve the problems in my life by interviewing the experts. <laughs> starting with, starting with sex and the single parent in the late seventies, mm-hmm. when that was an issue in my life. And from sex and the single parent to I'm still your mother, which was when they were beginning to be young adults, but not really troubled yet, um, to when our grown kids disappoint us mm-hmm. to boundary issues, which mm-hmm. is really what it's all about, our boundary issues. All of those books I'm, uh, are under my name at, and my author page on Amazon. And I also write a column once a month or so for Psychology Today. Mm-hmm. Good to And good to that, uh, it's called Between the Lines mm-hmm. because it's about mostly about intergenerational relationships, mm-hmm. which is my field of study. Lovely. Jane, thank you so much for uh, illuminating some of these really complex and difficult and confusing uh, issues. Uh, I think our our listeners are going to really appreciate it. And I thank you so much for your, your time. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different 
confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long exploratory you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. <music>